the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we've got one line open, one 367 Let's go to line number one and talk with Norm in Fremont. Norm, what is your question, observation, or comment, sir? Well, yeah, um, well, I had a couple of them, but the first one that comes to mind is uh, when Jesus said, if they receive you, they've received me. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far do you take that? You can only take that as far as common sense relative to what the scriptures have revealed, who we are in relationship to the Lord Jesus and the mission for which he has called us. So let's contextualize that statement, which is rendered first and foremost in Matthew chapter 10 and then duplicated in the gospel of Luke as well. Uh, it's talking about the assignment of messengers. The ambassador right. is a representative right. of the one that sends him. And so the person that Jesus is sending, contextually he's talking to the apostles, but he's, the larger context is also to the disciples. So when he sends, he sends those who are our apostello, that's the word to send. Apostle is the noun form of that verb form to send. The person that is sent is representing the one that sent them. And so the apostles represent Christ in the sense that to the degree that they are faithful to God's word to share it with those to whom they are sent. They are then representing God as Christ represents God, the father. So the disciples represent God, the son. And as such, if we assault the prophet or the messenger or the ambassador, we are vicariously assaulting the, uh, the one who originally sends the message. And that's what Christ means by that. And therefore the consequences of disrespecting the King's mandate, the King's imperative or the King's, uh, evangel, uh, that is the euangelion, the message of the gospel, has its consequences. And so the church has suffered persecution um, for 2,000 years. And here's a good text to underscore what you're talking about, Norman. I'll give you the last comment. In the book of Acts chapter 9, when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, appears to uh, Saul in the celestial manifestation of uh, absolute blissful light. And it's not a physical light, that light that was a supernatural light, as he is the eternal word of God. Uh, he said to Saul, 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 um, why persecutest thou me? And Saul had done exactly what you are intimating relative to the messengers being sent to him. So the early church was sent out preaching the gospel to the Jews of the resurrection of Christ and the affirmation of his uh, messiahship, and they persecuted many of them. Saul consented to the death of Stephen, and uh, and God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, met Saul on the road to Damascus to definitely uh, to bring him uh, to summons as to what he did. And listen to the language again. Why are you persecuting me? 
And so uh, the body of Christ uh, on the larger sort of metaphorical scale is definitely connected to the Lord Jesus Christ in a spiritual way uh, that carries an ontology through his own hypostases. That is him having um, received a human nature, assuming uh, our, our humanity in order that we might be a real partaker of his divinity <clears throat> through the new birth and by the spirit of God. So when we suffer, he suffers. And so it's really true that there is a kind of connection that merits his response towards those that oppose him. And, but it does not mean in that sense that, um, that to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, um, to receive me, that is as a messenger is to receive Jesus Christ as if I were Jesus Christ. That is not what that means. That is stretching it way too far as people do who do not know how to ground themselves in the context and understand what that context is clearly asserting. So I hope that does help you to some degree. Yeah, you know, it it, it pretty much does because you, you really want to hear, you know, the the convictions upon the hearers, you know, right, uh, right. you know confessing. Um, but, you know, I also in that context where, you know, if, if they um, receive them into their home, then, then that's good. It's kind of indicating that they receive them and they're okay with their, they're good with their right. message and, and that kind of thing. And if not, <clears throat> they're supposed to dust off their shoes and, and move on, you know, and, exactly. and let their sins be upon them. So exactly. I, I think it's a pretty powerful um, indication that the people who do receive the uh, evangelist, uh, the messenger, um, uh, uh, and their, the message is the gospel, yes. that uh, <clears throat> at least it's an indication that they're, um, they're open to it, you know, as far as that goes. Um, the other question uh, I had was, um, it, I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan, Jonathan Kahn. No, I'm not. Um, uh, he's written the Harbinger and the Shemitah and the Mysteries and Paradigm. There's a new one that's coming out, and he shares uh, um, quite a bit, you know, on some uh, uh, television, uh, Christian television programs and stuff, and gives gives some uh, pretty amazing information. But I was uh, it, I was wondering if when you do certain things on public television. Um, could you be, um, kind of, uh, sharing your pearls before swine or not? Well, no, there's always a possibility of that, but the context of the, uh, casting your pearls before swine has to do with one imposing, uh, the message of the gospel and the word of God, uh, upon people, um, almost forcefully and already knowing that those people are predisposed to not only disagree with you, but to respond, uh, wretchedly against what you're saying. And so it would be like becoming a provocateur or someone who wants to provoke people with the message. And that would be a wrong motive for sharing the gospel. The sure. individual right. that wants to just create a ruckus and have an argument with somebody just because they want to try to win the debate is far from being an evangelist of the likes of the Lord Jesus or the Apostle Paul. We become all things to all men that if by any means we win some. So the motive has to be right, right along with the message and therefore the method as well, if it's going to be really 
uh, crystal centric. And so provocateurs will come with uh, twisted ideas, distorted views, <clears throat> and even, and I don't know about this person you're talking about, Norm, but if he's actually bringing in ideas and concepts that are alien to scripture just to get a hearing or a following, then um, he, he's in more trouble than he would receive from uh, an audience of pagans and, and, and secularists because he's misrepresenting the uh, the king whom he says he is an ambassador of. And so I would I would be very concerned with his message if that's what he's doing. Yeah, well, uh, um, you, you know, pretty much everything that I've read and heard uh, from him, uh, actually, to me, is pretty amazing and pretty hard to... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Jonathan Kahn. Well, how do you spell he, the last name? I believe it's uh, K-A-H-N. Okay. Okay. Got it. I'll look him up. Thank you for the call, my dear brother. Blessings. Got to take a break. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. All the calls were good. Looking forward to talking with you after this break. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. We've got uh, three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line number four and talk with Doug in Colorado. Doug, how can I help you? Oh, hey, uh, this is a important call because I just got a new book uh, called Guinea Pigs: Technologies of Control by Doctor John Hall. It's his second book on this, uh, how they use uh, mind control and uh, traumatize people. And there's hundreds of thousands of people in America now who are being harassed by what they call voices called technology. And so uh, along that line, a book was written called The Franklin Cover-Up, Child abuse Satan is a murder in Nebraska and exposing a nationwide network of people uh, who are using this technology to traumatize people. So can I ask you a question, Doug? Doug, can I ask you a question? So help me. Are you a professing Christian, Doug? Yes, sir. I sure am. So, So help me understand how does this have anything to do with the preaching of the gospel? Well, because uh, the problem is that uh, the Christians are not being warned about this by their clergy. and uh, Why should they be warned, Doug? Doug, why should they be warned? Help me now. I'm trying to be reasonable with you because you're an older gentleman. The other person on the line, I'm not going to even pay him any attention because I told him about this before. Don't you think that it's a distraction for one to be wrapped up in one subject matter for decades upon decades upon decades when there is no viable, tangible connection to the vast millions, hundreds of millions, 350 million to be uh, the fact here in America? alone, let alone the rest of the world, uh, when God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ has called you to preach the evangel, the gospel of redemption to sinners all over the world. How, how is it that this particular issue, as true as it may be, will do anything to change the lives of Christians relative to uh, the securing their salvation and to unbelievers relative to obtaining salvation? Please help me understand that question before, before, we, before we leave. Okay, um, the the problem is that uh, 
as you know, not many people become Christians after they're adults. Right. But and, so, so, so you don't have any Bible for that. You just don't have an ounce of Bible for that. You know that, right? You don't have an ounce of Bible for that. So in the first century in, at Pentecost, 5,000 were saved. That's adults. That was men. That wasn't even the women and the children. And then 5,000 more in the book of Acts chapter five. And then Paul speaks about uh, the uh, fruits of, of the gospel permeating the whole Roman empire, which at that time was called the known world uh, in conjunction with what Christ said in Matthews 28 uh, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. He will have a people from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, according to revelation chapter, uh, chapter five, verse nine. And so the, the man, for the believers to preach the gospel to every creature, according to Mark's gospel, chapter 16, if you believe the long version, which I do. Uh, and so I am not uh, I'm not compelled, Doug, to assign people to um, a, 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 a low probability of salvation because they're an adult. As a matter of fact, my own experience has proven to me that the, the vast majority of the people who come to con- to a saving knowledge of Christ through my preaching are in fact adults. And so if I took your uh, argument, which is extra biblical and uh, without any kind of empirical data whatsoever, it's just an assumption that probably is rooted. I'm sorry to say, I'm just trying to be nice with you rooted in a kind of skeptic uh, uh, sort of holocaustic in uh, uh, time uh, mongering uh, sort of uh, mentality because uh, listen, Doug, uh, you and I only have a few years left. If we buy into the notion that grown folks uh, can't hardly be saved, then you know what? If we really buy into it, then right, we're not sharing the gospel. We're not. We're not. We're not declaring the message of redemption through Christ, and we're not trusting that the Holy Spirit will take the unique message, the unique charisma uh, of preaching, and actually save people. We're wrapped up into little petty notions about what happened to uh, uh, an individual several years ago because of his uh, pedophiliac uh, association or ways, which evil is rampant all over the world. Uh, thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people are wrapped up in that kind of behavior. And the Bible tells us not to get involved in those kind of specific pointed issues. That's that's government's job. That's the law's job. Our job is to preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ and call all men to repentance. I, I you know, I, I really am sorry that even at your age, you don't understand the overwhelming and compelling message of redemption is the primary thing to be preached. We can't take the airwaves like we're doing right now and cause a handful of thousands of people who are listening to be just uh, distracted to an issue of which in God's own providence, like he has done so many issues around the world, Doug, so many issues, God has not allowed them to come to the surface to become something talked about. Because they do not glorify his son. They just do not exalt Christ. And my prayer is not only uh, that men and women would be saved, but that you as a professing believer would get back on point with loving Christ enough to make him the one that you talk about all day, every day until you see him face to face. Thank you for the call. Got to take a break. All lines are open, by the way. one 367 5329 as Paul said, I'd rather speak five words with an understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. We are babbling if we are not declaring the glory of God in the person of Christ. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. 
All right, it's 6.33, and all the lines are open. one 367 Give me a call <laughs> if you don't want to talk, unless you want to talk about conspiracy theories and cover-ups about stuff that uh, God in his providence obviously has allowed to be covered up. If you want to talk with yours truly about a Bible verse or a Bible doctrine, which we've been able to do for the whole program, Thank God. Give me a call. one 367 Loved the call from Viola in terms of <clears throat> understanding where we are in our uh, post-constitutional society. Love the brothers whose calls were about theological issues relevant to our life, what happens after death or upon death in terms of a Bible-based believing Christian. Uh, appreciate your calls on those, on those lines. Those are the things we really do need to be reinforcing in our life. Uh, there is a whole lot going on in the world, and you can be distracted. That is exactly what the devil did. Give me a call, one 367 Do you know that God had given Adam and Eve, while I'm waiting on your call, God had given Adam and Eve uh, a major uh, and wonderful task and tenure, and that is to till and keep the Garden of Eden. It wasn't the whole of the earth. It was, however, sort of the beginnings of what could have been a wonderful, wonderful expansion of uh, paradise um, globally had Adam and Eve uh, remained obedient to their tenure. But Eve allowed the serpent to distract her from the tree of life, which was in the middle of the garden, right along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God said, do not eat. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me say this. And I've got three lines open now. one 367 you got to definitely be careful to note when you are being distracted. So those of you who have listened to me for a long time, I have talked about the concept called the five D's of the devil. The five D's of the devil And they are fundamentally rooted in the Genesis narrative where I state that the tactical uh, method of the enemy by which he was able to cause mankind to fall away from that gracious uh, blessing that God had bestowed upon them by assignment. And that is to be freely partakers of every tree in the garden that God had made with the exception of one. And would you know it, that would be the one. that God would uh, tell Adam and Eve to stay away from. It's called a prohibition. It was God's uh, positive prohibition not to eat of that tree. But they were free to eat of all the other trees in the garden as well as the tree of life. Now, the tree of life speaks to and points to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the life of God for every man that comes into the world and certainly everyone who believes on him for salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me. First John chapter 5, verse 10, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. And the privilege of believers such as you and I is that we would communicate that life by the word of life, which is the word of God and the gospel thereby to men and women that they might be partakers of that life. Now, you and I can be distracted from the tree of life and we can be caught up in and wrapped up in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what all these other ways are all about. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one to open your eyes, make you wise, make you like God in certain ways, self-determining, 
self-revelatory, self-promoting, self-righteous, and all sorts of other selves where when we look at you, you don't seem to blend in with and correspond to the glory of God in the person of Christ as a branch in the vine, but you are separate and distinct and operating on your own autonomy, uh, very clearly distinguishable by your agenda, your bent, your message, totally contrary to the prophets of old, because all the prophets of old, according to the New Testament, pointed to Jesus, all of them. Paul made it very clear. Uh, In fact, Peter made it clear in Acts chapter 9 and 10, all the prophets witnessed of him. And if they all did, shouldn't we also in this post uh, resurrected uh, era of the uh, person and work of our Lord Jesus. Shouldn't we be still pointing to him who is the tree of life for those of us who feed on him? I am the bread of life. If a man eats of me, he will never perish. I am the water of life out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters, etc., etc., etc. Christ is the central theme for us to be talking about. He is God's resplendent glory, according to Hebrews chapter one, verse two and three. And uh, he should be the thing with which we are preoccupied with because there's no way to get to the father apart from the son and apart from the work of the spirit. And if you and I want to be guilty of anything, it's fixation on the father through his son and by his spirit. And according to the gospel, that's what we should be fixated on the true and the living God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Let us live and die proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot know the true and the living God apart from his son, Jesus Christ. We need to know everything about Jesus in order to know everything we can know as human creatures about God the Father. And so the Genesis narrative lays it down like this. I've got two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. The serpent came to the woman, being more subtle than any beast of the field whom the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, immediately he is bringing into question what? God's word. Immediately he's bringing into question God's word. <laughs> Shall you not eat of every tree of the garden? What do we call that? A distraction. Because he's now asserting that Eve needs to have freedom to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to truly be free. What is that a distraction from? The tree that she had every right to eat of. And if she had eaten of it, she would have been actuated in her state of probationary righteousness and thus live forever in a state of fellowship with God. But she was distracted. That's the first D. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat thereof, neither shall you touch it. She responded to him appropriately, but she never should have responded to him in the first place. Why? Because he's a snake. You don't talk to snakes. But having talked to the snake, she did assert that God had said, don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. But see, this is reverse psychology on the part of the serpent who is more subtle than any beast of the field. Why? Because he wants you to talk about the things that God says, leave alone. Now, audibly, she said, God said, leave it alone. But intrinsically, she was weak enough to want to talk about it, even with the serpent who had come with a distracting proposition. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Ah, there is your second D, not only a distraction, but now a denial, a plain, open, a frontal attack on God, denying the truth of God's positive statement that it in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. So he distracted her from the true tree. He denies the proposition of consequences that comes out from rebelling against God. 
in verse 4. And then he goes on to not only deny after having distracted, this is what we call distorting. For God hath, God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. What did he just do? He took what God called death and is, is now saying that this is deification. This is a distortion of the truth, you guys. This is what false prophets do all the time. They distract you from Jesus. They deny God's sovereignty over our life to 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 put boundaries in our lives for our good, such as you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit uh, 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 idolatry. You shall not steal. You shall not kill. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not do a lot of things. Why? Because he loves us enough to tell us don't do those things. But we want to turn those things into uh, distorted facts. By denying the fact that God's intention is to see that we live and not die. So the third D is very clear, a distortion of the facts. He he first distracts, then he denies, and then he distorts. Now notice what happens to Eve upon the distortion. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise, whoa, what just happened? When you listen to false prophets and false teachers who deny, who distract you from the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, who deny, who deny, who deny the truth of God's word with its gracious parameters and boundaries for your good, and then distort the truth of God's word, distort the truth of God's word, which plainly tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. When they come with any other interpretation but that which is laid out in the word of God, They have distorted the truth. And when you buy it, guess what? You are now deceived. Eve was deceived. She had been deluded by the deception of the devil. This is exactly what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. The woman was in the transgression being deceived. This is exactly what he said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. I am afraid of you, but for just as the serpent beguiled Eve, so should you be deceived from or drawn away from the simplicity and clarity of the gospel of Christ. And this is exactly what goes on in our culture, ladies and gentlemen, when we are doing anything other than hearing sound doctrine that points us to God in Christ, that shows us the way of salvation by faith through grace and teaches the word of God to us soundly. Now, notice that she now all of a sudden sees the tree differently than she did before. At least before, she had a sense of fear and reverence for that tree, even to the level of not touching it. And I agree with that kind of healthy, reverential fear, don't you? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding have all they that depart from evil. And this is the seal by which God's people are known. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will depart from iniquity. Don't even come close to the tree. Don't touch the tree. View the tree as the most dangerous tree in the garden, as God hath clearly stated. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And you guys know what happened hence, right? She took of the fruit. Why? Because she was deceived. She ate it, and then she took it and gave it to her husband, and he ate the fruit in the same way she ate the fruit. As I have so clearly taught, she consumed the fruit. She devoured the fruit. Thus, she gave him a piece of the fruit for his own, and he did the same thing, not being deceived at all. She was deceived, not Adam. He did it volitionally with his eyes wide open because he wanted to die with his wife. 
horrible, 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 horrible reality that occurs. And what's the application, Pastor? Here's the application. There's a lot of stuff out there that is attractive, such as my caller who had called earlier about this guy, uh, Jonathan Kahn. Leave him alone. His last name is K-A-H-N, but I'm worried about it being a C-O-N, a con job on you, because when you do the quick research, you discover a lot of troubling things about his false prophecies and his his misdates and his misuse of the Hebrew calendar and his hyper messianic uh, Jewish theology that fundamentally denies the person and work of Jesus Christ, the ultimate Messiah. See, when you get wrapped up in all of these peripheral doctrines, guess what? You're deceived. You're deceived. This is what Paul warned about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 to the church that was buying into the sophistries of all sorts of prophets who were coming into the church at Corinth and causing these people to slide all over the ice of dubiousness because they were not rooted and grounded in the truth. Five D's of the devil. Then distraction, denial, distortion, deception, and ultimately what? Destruction. Why? Because she ate, her husband ate, and they immediately began to die. How did they die? Their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked and they hid themselves out of fear. And they ran from God and hid behind the trees. That's what it means to be dead spiritually, running from God, hiding from God, sowing the fig leaves of self-righteousness because Christ is no longer adequate for you. This is a horrible judgment. When God had given them the probationary righteousness of his spirit by which they would have an opportunity to make it to the tree of life and be actuated in eternal life forever, they sinned against God indicating that Christ was not adequate. This is the corresponding analogy to you and I. If you do not believe that Christ is adequate enough to cover you with his own righteousness so that you are accepted in the beloved for all eternity through faith by grace apart from works, then you're left to law keeping and working for your salvation and ascending to the status of being a partaker of the divine nature on your own, as did the case with Adam and Eve. Now, there are aspects of that case that are totally different than yours and ours, yours and mine, because we're born in sin, conceived in sin. We drink iniquity like water. We're more prone to evil. We don't know anything about righteousness until we're born again. But my point, I think, is well taken for those of you who know that my intention only is to tell you that when you get to a place where Christ is no longer adequate for you and you've got to run to this prophet and run to that prophetess and run to this service and that service and run to this messenger and that messenger and get caught up in every other thing. But the verbal plenary full inspiration of scripture that declares to you the way of life through the Lord Jesus Christ then there is a real problem in your soul. It's probably that the devil has snuck up to you and tickled you in your emotions, shut down your thinking faculties and distracted you from the word of life. Got to take a break and we'll take our phone calls and close out this program or this edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, let's wind this uh, very uh, interesting uh, program down with line number one, Andy from Burlingame. Andy, what is your question, comment, or observation? Oh, hey, Pastor Jesse. I always look forward to hearing you on Mondays. Thank you. Um, Speaking of deception, why isn't Arminianism considered a major deception with people thinking they're getting themselves saved? It is. It is. It has been historically, um, especially when it's clearly linked to Pelagianism, which was a fundamental denial of um, not only uh, the clear teaching of the Bible concerning 
human depravity, which we could um, repletely demonstrate from Genesis to Revelation relative to our um, radical fall, um, but also ultimately a, a denial of the necessity of a radical work of grace to recover us from that fall, asserting that the cross work of Jesus Christ um, and the subsequent pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, is inadequate in this sense. As I debated with my friend several months ago, uh, Derek Lomax, that when one argues that salvation is accomplished by both what Christ does and by what you do, you by de facto deny the atonement. Either the atonement affects and accomplishes our eternal redemption or it doesn't. What that means then is if people perish because they do not accept Jesus or receive Jesus into their heart, um, either Christ's death on the cross uh, did pay for their sins uh, and they are dying under a double jeopardy principle, which we would believe is horrible since if God actually has paid for our sins by virtue of Christ's death, we can't pay for them again. I'm sure you understand the logic in that. But if we're going to benefit from the redemption of Christ by virtue of the penal justice of God being accomplished, by Christ's death, God has to actually now do an additional work, which is inherent in the work of Christ on the cross. And that is to come get us by the power of the Holy Ghost and raising us from the dead spiritually, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and to say yes to the one who actually died for our sins. Thus, the salvation of all of God's people is altogether of the Lord. And uh, we are simply recipients of that blessed work of grace. Uh, Conversely, If, in fact, we are um, said to um, have to do something in order for us to be saved in addition to what Jesus did, that really does constitute heresy because heresy is nothing other, Andy, than the word um, to choose. And this is why it is dangerous to assume that your salvation or one salvation rather begins with them rather than with God. God is not saving us by waiting for us to choose him, but rather having chosen us, called us, quickened us, and upon a work of regeneration in our soul, we respond to God, yes. So choosing God is the consequence of being saved. It's not the grounds or means of our salvation, and I know that you know that. But we live in a culture right now whereby um, it is understood largely Andy, that the average Christian does not understand the theological premise behind much of what they are believing in church today. Polls show that there is a woeful inadequacy on the part of the average Christian to know much of anything for which um, our church fathers, going all the way back to the apostles, have fought to lay down the cardinal doctrines of the gospel. And so uh, men and women don't know, you know, whether the Bible is the word of God. They don't really know who the true and the living God is, uh, per se, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in any adequate cogent, coherent, theological way. They don't really know if the atonement uh, was vicarious and and penal or not. They don't really know uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and on and on and on. It is really a problem, and it really does lie at the door of the pastors of our churches um, for which in our present generation we are catering to the felt needs of people rather than teaching them sound doctrine. So you think at the end of the the day that these people will be saved or they're going to be, you know, come Judgment Day— 
you know, why should I let you into heaven? They'll, they won't be saved. They will never. Well, God saves people. This is the thing. It really is an evil thing. Right. God it's a problem. People, people no. don't. It's a huge problem. It is a huge problem. It's a terrible deception. Right. It is a huge problem, terrible deception, and it's something for which we would want to exercise two things, Andy, and I certainly appreciate your concern, and that's this. A charitable disposition of saying uh, God is gracious and um and if he is pleased to help people who have fallen prey to uh, another gospel to understand that, indeed, that is another gospel as the uh, reformers plainly laid out. If he's pleased to save them in spite of it, that will be a sort of cognitive dissonance on our part. We will leave God with that judgment. What you and I will do is seek to in communicating with them the dangers of a works based gospel. And if they should see it and come out of it, then fine. If not not um, all we can do is is leave the mystery of iniquity uh, in God's hands rep, uh, relative to people who don't, because Jesus made it plain in John chapter ten. Uh, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And so to hear his voice is prerequisite to following. Following is prerequisite to the reality of eternal life that's ours. If we don't hear his voice in the gospel, if we don't follow him in a true saving faith, as Peter put it, this is the true grace of God, then uh, we might very well wake up on that last day as Matthew chapter 7 puts it very plainly in him saying to us, I never knew you depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. So pray for them. But uh, make sure you and I stay in a place of humility. That's it to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Really did enjoy it. Uh, Lord willing, <laughs> Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Until then, keep your eyes on the Son of God. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.